Morning, everybody. It's great to have you with us. If you're here for the first time, uh, you are uh, extra specially welcome. Uh, This is one gathering that we have. We had another gathering at 9.30. We've also got a gathering over at Bourneville. We've also got our Word of Hands community that speak in British Sign Language. So we've got a number of gatherings here. And if you're new to us, uh, we've got all those gatherings simply because we're convinced that in this changing world with all the uncertainty that is around us, that actually Jesus and the good news of Jesus really gives hope for your life today and for the rest of your life. And so if you're new here, if you're just exploring uh, Christian things, great to have you with us. Uh, Hopefully something connects, resonates with you uh, this morning. We're going to read from the Bible, and this morning it's warm. I know people's eyes get sleepy, so we're going to read from the most, one of the most complex bits of the Bible. Yay! We're going to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes, if you've never delved into the book, it's ancient, ancient literature uh, in which this particular bit we're looking at, in this bit, the author of this bit, basically is unpicking all of the things that people spend their life living for and is basically weighing up, do those things we live for actually bring meaning and value and purpose to your life? And his answer is no. (laughs) That actually as he looks at life, much of it is meaningless. And this particular bit, you'll see, is quite complex in that. So let's dive in. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're going to read from verse 13 to 20. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. In this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these. The righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and don't be a fool. Why die before your time? It's good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Wisdom makes one person wise, one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. Indeed, there is no one on earth who's righteous, no one who does what's right and never sins. May God speak to us this morning. And can I say, can I say up front, uh, if you're fed up of the World Cup, there's going to be a few references this morning, so I'm sorry. If you're not English, bear with us. We don't get this sort of stuff very often. Uh, Your time to console and comfort may come. (laughs) Um, So please do bear with us. A number of years ago, I had the privilege uh, of being in northwestern Zambia, right on the border of the Congo, in the middle of the African bush. I was visiting a school that was a missionary school set up decades ago, Uh, all about educating young children, both the children of missionaries and also local children. There was an orphanage alongside it, uh, producing uh, beautiful things, doing amazing work. It was a brilliant time. It is a brilliant school, doing fantastic things, giving lots of opportunities for people who would not normally have them. 
But as I left that school and flew back into the green pastures of Heathrow Airport, you many will know if you've ever been overseas and you kind of come in, you realize quite how green our country is. As I flew back in, I had this overwhelming feeling of sadness that there life seemed so simple. And yet here, this overwhelming burden because life seems so complex. And I had this phrase come to mind, if only life were simple, like the missionaries had in that particular place. So I thought. We live in a society in which many of us are burdened by the complexity of things that we have to juggle. I read this week, every day the average person makes 60,000 decisions. That is a lot. I have no idea how they work that out. I have no idea if it's actually true. But I'm guessing, regardless, life is complex. And so we look at people like Mother Teresa doing her thing when she was alive in Calcutta, giving it all up to just focus on one thing, helping the poor. And it seems so simple in the midst of our complexity. Or we look at our social media stream and we click on Facebook or we see the images on Instagram and everybody else's life seems so simple altogether. And we just note the complexity that we have on our shoulders. If only life were simple. And yet we all also know that the reality is the apparent simplicity of other people's lives is only apparent, not real. A few years ago, after Mother Teresa died, you may know she, they'd released her diaries in this book, Come Be My Light. And it rocked many people's worlds and many people's views of Mother Teresa. Because here she was, this hero to many, so close apparently to God, giving it all for the most weak and vulnerable. And this is what she says in her diary as she talks about one of her mentor figures that she refers to as father here. Now, Father, this untold darkness, this loneliness, this continual longing for God, which gives me deep down pain in my heart. The place of God in my soul is blank. And the pain of longing is so great, I just long and long for God. And then I feel he doesn't want me, that he's not even there. My life seems so contradictory. I help souls. And why all of this? If only life were simple. Today, we are coming to the end of a series that we've been looking at here at Riverside, where we've been juggling some of the complexities. Some of the complexities and tensions that we've been looking at in the Bible, where things seem to be sort of at odds each, at each other. Things that seem a little bit confusing. And today, as we come to the end of the series, we're simply going to be asking, regardless of what those tensions are, how do we handle tensions in our lives? How do we handle complexity? How do we handle things where things we just don't seem to make sense? We can't understand what is going on. When things are not going the way we thought they would in our lives, whatever that looks like. When things are happening in our lives or those of the lives we love, people we love, we just don't understand. When we read bits of the Bible and we don't understand it or the bits we do understand trouble us because they seem at odds with either our desires or the things we want to be true. 
where the tensions of the things that we just don't understand and the things we long to be true war at our souls. How do we handle such times of tension and complexity? After all, as we come to the Bible, doesn't it seem they didn't seem to have mortgages? Children who didn't seem to sleep at night? Outrageous demands that bosses give? Partners who snore? Whatever the tension and complexity in your life right now, how do we handle them? Because the writer, to Ecclesi- the writer of Ecclesiastes certainly knows about tension. Did you see that in that reading we had? He voices what many of us feel. In this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these things. The righteous perishing in their righteousness. And the wicked living long in their wickedness. Good people suffering because they've done good. People going on a bender, having a time of their lives and getting away with it, is what he says. Life doesn't seem straightforward. And this morning I want us to do a little bit of self-diagnosing. Now if you're a doctor here, you will know if you've ever been to the doctors that view of when you get there and I, doctor, doctor, I googled on the internet and the look on their face, don't do that. This morning, we're going to do some self-diagnosis about the tensions in our lives and whether they need to be tensions. And right up front, I want to name a particular challenge that I think our society faces and that I certainly face. I know that many other people face. That this issue is one thing that seems to be a big struggle for so many of us. Every time I talk with people about challenges they face, this one issue seems to come around and around and around, whether we use these words or not, and it is this issue. FOMO. If you have no idea what that means, ask a teenager. It simply means fear of missing out. That for many of us, whatever is happening in our lives, we wish things were different and we're worried that we're missing out on all the good stuff that we should be doing. Whatever stage you're at, if you're at the stage of life where all those dreams that you used to have in your 20s have now happened and yet, and yet, it aches. Did you make the wrong calls? Am I missing out on what could be? Or if you're at that stage of life where you're single and you wish you weren't and you're just beginning to wonder whether the options that you've turned your back on, I should go there again. Or whether you're at that stage of life where actually career is coming to an end and you've got so much energy, so much passion, so much wisdom and you're worried that you don't want to just fizzle out. You want to go out on a bang and you're just worried because life seems so humdrum. And we look at Instagram or Facebook or we read the stories of old and we wonder, am I missing out? How do we handle those tensions? Well, there's a few things I think the Bible will help with us. It might help us with this. And the first thing is this. I think we can handle the the tensions we face with real honesty. The Bible encourages us to do so. One of the things I've loved over the recent days is the way Gareth Southgate has handled the media. If you're not into football, it is markedly different from most managers. There's no hype. He's just straight off the bat, sensible, kind, gentle, straightforward, it seems. 
But yet he's also honest that his team are maybe not on paper the greatest team on the planet. And the ref sometimes makes decisions against England that are right. <laughs> Honesty. The Bible encourages us to be honest about the challenges we face. Look again to the writer of Ecclesiastes. Consider what God has done, who can straighten what he's made crooked. When times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. There in the pages of the Bible, you have the Bible itself saying life doesn't make sense sometimes. Good stuff happens, great, enjoy it, but there's bad stuff as well. And you know what? God's in control of it all, don't know. And I want to encourage you that if you've got stuff in your life and your view of God means that you can't admit and be open and honest that some of this stuff just doesn't make sense, here are some liberating words that you can, along with the writers of the Bible, own it and say, there is a God, but there's stuff that doesn't make sense. Rather than trying to excuse it away or answer it away with clever philosophies like many worldviews, the Bible is honest and upfront. And Jesus himself on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You don't need to be more honest than the Bible is. Or more dishonest than the Bible is, should I say. The Bible is liberatingly honest, refreshing. You can be too. Sometimes things don't make sense, and that's fine. God is still God. I've been reading this book by a guy called Zach S. Wine called Sensing Jesus, a beautiful book. And in it, he says these words, where he's talking with a fellow church leader. And he basically said these words, I constantly feel I'm out of my depth, my friend said. Me too, I said. Then a few questions occurred to us. Why do we lament the fact that we don't know everything? Why do we speak of our being out of uh, with sadness and heavy sighing as if we're failing somehow. It's as if we feel we're supposed to repent for having limits with our knowledge. Where have we got this from? And then he says these words. We concluded that if we were to say to God, Father, I constantly feel out of my depth, God would gently ask, and why is that a problem? <laughs> maybe, just maybe, the tensions and the struggles we have might help us look to the one who can give hope. Be honest. Second way to deal with our tensions in our life is with utter humility. What's also been lovely to see in the England team is the way in the press conferences they own the fact that they haven't got the Messies and the Ronaldos and the Mo Salahs of this world. That they're a good team, but they know they're no superheroes. Humility. Something in our society that so often goes missing. Listen again to the words of Ecclesiastes. Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. In our society where the rulers have to give the impression they've got it all together here in the pages of the Bible, the writer reminds us wisdom shows that it's not about apparent strength. That the wisdom we need is sometimes the humility to acknowledge we don't know the answers. 
Some of us need the humility to recognize the things that we hold dear actually we used to think differently on and so therefore for other people who think differently we don't need to beat them up about it. And there will be things that in 10 years time we've changed our mind on. There will be things that we as a society are grappling with now that in 50 years, 100 years time we will think very differently on. In the same way that we look back and if we forget the way that Christians down through history have grappled with things, we're showing pride to the utmost. Humility acknowledges we don't know everything. There are questions we have. And can I simply say, at the root of Christianity is acknowledging our own weakness and our need of God. Therefore, the way we debate issues we shouldn't undermine that reality that we think we know everything. Oswald Chambers said, beware of proposing as a profound person, God became a baby. Humility. So we handle tension with honesty. It's real. But with humility, God, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Which leads us, of course, to the next way we handle it. We handle tensions with prayer. Again, after every match in this tournament so far, what's been refreshing has been the way the football players have been pointing to the fans. When I say refreshing, actually they do it often, but what's been most refreshing is seeing the fans. It's coming home. It's coming home. Yeah, there we go, see? <laughs> maybe, just maybe. Because even the players with their professionalism know they need help. They need the people cheering them on. And so they give tribute to the fans. Uh, listen again to the writer of Ecclesiastes. In this dialogue, as he looks at what people, the way they're living... And he looks at the people that seem to be super spiritual and it just leads to problems. And the people who go on benders and it just leads to problems. He's grappling with it and he says these words. It's good to grasp the one, not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. In the middle of this mess, in the middle of these tensions, the middle of the complexity, remember there is a God. And therefore if we're honest about the issues and we're humble enough to we don't know, what does that lead to? Prayer. One of the characteristics of revivals down through history is desperate prayer. And not the kind of prayer where people say, if you just pray in this sort of way, you'll get the magic. No. The kind of prayer that is desperate, saying, God, we've got nothing. Please act. And so for those of us here, that your tensions, your grapples, the things that you're struggling with have led you to the kind of prayer where you've been on your face sobbing, and you're worrying whether that's the right sort of prayer, can I encourage you, that's exactly what real prayer looks like. Desperate, where God is the only one who has the answer. That is humility, that's prayer. I love the words of Paul Miller in his beautiful book, The Praying Life, when he says these words, when you stop trying to control your life and instead allow your anxieties and problems to bring you to God in prayer, you shift from worry to watching. You watch God weave his patterns in the story of your life. Instead of trying to be out front designing your life, you realize you're inside God's drama. As you wait, you begin to see him work 
and your life begins to sparkle with wonder. You're learning to trust again. And I had a sense as I was preparing this that there may be some of us, I know because I've done this many a time, where I've been grappling with tensions in my life, things that I'm really struggling with, and I'm talking with a lot of people about them, but I've never really prayed. God's longing for you to pour out your heart to him. So we, honesty, humility, prayer. But of course, it's no surprise, I've already mentioned it, let also the tensions in your life lead you back to the pages of the scriptures. Listen to these words. Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. These words from Ecclesiastes are in the bit of the Bible that's called the wisdom literature. In other words, when we're going through tensions, grapple with what's written in the pages of the Bible. Or as a New Testament writer, Paul says this, the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. All scripture is useful. Therefore, if we're grappling with stuff, grapple with scripture. If you were there at the half night of prayer a couple of weeks ago, it was wonderful in the 12 midnight to 1 a.m. slot for those hardcore people that were still there. Andy Worthington shared some wonderful stories of Christians around the world who are persecuted for their faith. He told a beautiful story of a man who became a follower of Jesus because he was given a gift that was wrapped up in a page of the Bible and simply by reading the wrapping paper became a follower of Jesus. I heard a story not that long ago of a man who was locked up, locked up in prison and the windows of this prison were wallpapered over with pages of the Bible that had been ripped up to get rid of it. And he was reading the window wallpaper and became a follower of Jesus. This is powerful. And friends, can I encourage you? If we're grappling with stuff, let's immerse ourselves in these. And if you're new to Christianity, you're new to the Christian story, can I encourage you? Read some. Just read it. Don't, don't rest on what you think you know. Just, just jump in. Why not start with one of, the, one of the Gospels, the stories of Jesus' life, maybe Mark's Gospel, something like that. Go for it. Just read it. See what you think. Ask God to help you understand it. And maybe work with some gets Christian that you know to chat through it with you as well. But do you notice what Paul says? It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. What was wonderful to see last night for those football fans, was the Harry Maguire's goal. Forgive me for a moment. Do you see the way they lined up? Some of you are clearly fed up, been watching Wimbledon. Is that they'd done all of that on the training pitch, and because they'd worked hard on the training pitch, it came, it was fruitful on the real pitch. When we read the pages of the Bible, we are trained. That means it might be challenging. There are things in here that should challenge us and will comfort us. So let our tensions lead us back to the Bible. So, honest, humble, prayer, Bible. Two more as we come to a close. The next thing, if the grapples, the things we're battling with in life, we handle them with other people, not on our own. My favorite photo of the last few weeks is this. I know some of you are getting fed up now. 
think this is the last one. It's this photo, penalty shootout against Columbia. Like most teams, they're there, brothers in arms, because they know at this moment where it seems so isolated for one of the players or two of them, that they're actually a team. And friends, when we're going through things, when there are things that we just don't get, they don't make sense, we don't understand, when there are things in here that we find difficult, we need each other. I love these words from the book of Hebrews. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The writer goes on in chapter 10 to say these words. Let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. We need each other so that when we're the one on our knees, somebody else can carry us. And when we're doing all right, we can carry those that are struggling. That's why groups and life groups and community groups around here are so important. If you're not in one, can I urge you to think about getting stuck in? So be honest, humble, pray, grapple with the scriptures, do it with others. But ultimately, all those things done right will lead us to handling the tensions of life with Jesus. Did you notice the final words of that bit of Ecclesiastes? In some respects, at first glance, they seem so just like ugly words. But I want to suggest they are liberating words. Verse 20 of what we read. Indeed, there's no one on earth who is righteous. No one who does what's right and never sins. Of course, those verses are repeated in the New Testament. As Paul, looking back on all that Jesus has done, says these words. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. And why are those words that seem so desperate so wonderful? Because it's there that we find ourselves. If we're really honest, we know we don't have it all together. We know there's so many questions. We know there's so many things we struggle with. And here in the pages of the Bible, we find ourselves. And it's only when we find ourselves there that we can begin to find hope. And this is where Paul goes as he says these words. Because of that unrighteousness in our lives, there is a righteousness available and this righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. Regardless of your education, regardless of your background, regardless of how society treats you, for all who simply believe in Jesus. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. And so friends... In the light of that, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This is hope. This is good news. And so when you're grappling with stuff, when you're going through the complexities of life and you wish life was simple, when we come to the foot of the cross, when we see all that God has done for us, that Jesus himself took our place, 
took the hit for us. We realize we're loved beyond our wildest dreams and that there is hope for all eternity. And that changes how we navigate those tensions. There may still be many questions, yes. But we can do them humbly saying, God, I don't know. Let's walk together, praying our hearts out, studying his Bible as we come face to face with Jesus. So what I'm going to do now is we're going to invite us to stand. Would you stand?